Hi everyone, this is episode nine of season three and I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi Matt. Good morning, Catherine. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yes, yep, yep. The sun is shining. Absolutely. Sun is shining here <laughs> now. It wasn't an hour ago. I'm going to keep looking out the window while we chat. I'm not being rude. Today, we are focusing on neurodiversity, the conditions that often fall within this category and how to access protection insurance when you are neurodiverse. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, Matt, I was contacted by somebody recently and it seemed um, interesting to find out that I'm not sure where this list is or sorry, whereabouts it is, but apparently in the um, UK insurance podcast, we've been listed on somebody's blog as being number seven in the top 20 UK insurance podcasts, which I think is, is pretty it's pretty cool. Fantastic achievement. Fantastic it achievement. Is. Well done. Oh, well done to you as well. You're helping me make this. Team team effort, I have to say. Team effort. Well, I was going to say the CII were number one. So I get that. I get that. Obviously, they are very, very much insurance. But then what was interesting is that number two, there was a podcast about insurance with Steph McGovern, um, which I um I found quite interesting. I thought, oh, my name's somewhere, Steph McGovern. That's quite uh, that's quite good. <laughs> Gracious, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's a it's a team effort, and really, um, it's testament to all the hard work you put in. And honestly, I'm not I'm not just saying that either. Well, thank you, thank Great. you. Well, we're going to be going on about neurodiversity today. Um, so there are lots and lots of conditions when it comes to neurodiversity. So I'm not going to be well, we're not going to be able to go through all of them, but we thought we'd maybe go through some where maybe it's something that is not just possibly an underwriting consideration, but one very much for advisors as well. So we can talk about potentially how to change your approach. And I'll possibly talk through some examples as well. So for everybody listening, I am going to go through a bit of statistics here. So just bear with me and then we'll get on to the to the fun part where we start having a good natter. So uh, what we're going to be chatting about today is going a little bit through the backgrounds of conditions known as ADHD, autism, dyspraxia and dyslexia. So ADHD is a condition that a lot of us, I imagine, have heard of. Um, it's known as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And it's something where it, it can be linked with another, uh, with something with med, med, sorry, say that again, with mental health conditions, um, such as anxiety, depression, bipolar, potentially Tourette's, and also linked uh, with um, epilepsy as well. And it's something that tends to make people, I'll, I'll go through sort of the symptoms a lot more, but it's one where somebody tends to have lots and lots of energy and sort of like maybe appears as if they can't, in a sense, possibly from an outsider's point of view, it may appear as if they can't really calm down, uh, which would be a very, very basic um, sort of view as to what was happening. There is a more rare form of this as well called hyperkinetic disorder. And something that surprised me when um, I was going through the research about ADHD was that it's roughly um, three to four percent of adults have ADHD, which when you look at the UK, and this was this was specifically in the UK, that's about two million people, which for me was an incredible number of people. I didn't expect it to be that high. And it made me really think about the fact that you know, this is, again, from an advisor space, from an insurer space, this is a lot of potential clients that we need to make sure that we're approaching and supporting in the right way in gaining their insurances. Um, the next one that I wanted to chat through uh, was autism. So with autism, it's known as autism spectrum disorder. Um, and, um, and also uh, it can be linked with, well, it's also known as autism um, spectrum condition and links as well up potentially known as Asperger's syndrome. And Asperger's syndrome is known as high functioning autism 
Um, but that is no longer, apparently Asperger's syndrome in itself is no longer um, diagnosed as a, specific, as a specific condition in its own right. So when you're looking at that again, and um, so like when I was looking at the British Medical Association, there's roughly 700,000 people in the UK uh, living with autism. Um, and again, it can be linked to conditions such as ADHD, dyslexia, um, and other uh, mental health conditions and, and, and epilepsy. Um, and I think what's interesting about the autism is that they very specifically say as well, when you're trying to understand it, that it is, it is not an illness. It is just yeah. that the brain is interpreting things in a different way to what other people are interpreting it as. But again, 700,000 people, we're talking, you know, a, a large, large portion of people. Um, and then going on to dyspraxia. So this is also known as DCD or developmental coordination disorder. And it's, it's expected when they're sort of estimating it out that there's about 5% of the population is affected by dyspraxia, which again is roughly um, 3.3 million people in the UK. And of that, there'll be 1.3 million people that would be significantly affected with symptoms of dyspraxia. That is more to do with motor skills and physical movement rather than anything to do with mental health or any kind of cognitive development. But again, looking from that, we've had 2.2, uh, we've had 2 million for ADHD, we've had 700,000 for autism. We've now got 3.3 million people with dyspraxia. And we're up to 6 million people now already that have a condition that really should be, that we make sure that people within, obviously, well, any, any aspect of society should know, but obviously people within insurers, uh, whether or not that's underwriters, claims handlers, or people on the front line, you know, anybody who's speaking, because there can be different ways that we need to, to communicate sometimes. The other thing I would say is that there may be needs to, to communicate slightly differently, but it's also really important not to make assumptions. Just because somebody has a health condition, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are vulnerable. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put in really, really sort of massive adaptations to what you are doing. Um, the important thing is to listen to that person and to listen to their needs of what they're telling you that they require. The last one for me to, to just mention is dyslexia, which is known um, as a learning difficulty that often involves difficulty in terms of reading and or writing. And when you look at that, that is 6.5 million people in the UK are having this. So whilst I, I know obviously when I was adding up the numbers before, I've just been adding it on rather than that's sort of like my crude attempt to sort of like add up the numbers without taking into account that some of these conditions will have people who are experiencing all of them and the numbers may be slightly lower. But still, that's we're talking millions of people within the UK that are having these conditions. So a key part of what we're going to be chatting about today is about these health conditions. So we can understand potentially how a person may... Um, need to have things adapted to them when they're applying for insurance and what potentially what might be the considerations for an underwriter and then also to maybe understand um, what we would maybe expect in terms of symptoms and again not an assumption that people would have these symptoms but just to be aware so that when we experience and come across them as an advisor or as anybody else that we're not necessarily shocked um, that we very quickly understand and and can see that there is possibly some symptoms there that would maybe suggest um, a health condition, and for us to then react in the right ways to really support that person. So, Matt, first of all, let's have a have a bit of a chat about ADHD then, please. So from an underwriter's um, kind of mindset and your knowledge and everything, can you, in a sense, tell us a bit more about ADHD? And, and then we can sort of like just chat going forward, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th I think one of the 
I think it's an interesting thing to, to start off from my perspective is as, as, a, as an underwriter now of 40, 40 something years, I'm not going to compare it exactly. Um, it, it seems incredible to me with the numbers that you've mentioned that I have very, very rarely seen cases either at a new business underwriting stage or indeed at a claim stage that would fit into the categories that we were talking about this morning. And it, I do have to ask myself why. It could well be that the insurance buying population is a select group in its own right um, with people who have have money, want to insure things for a particular reason, mortgage being the obvious one, uh, family protection for children, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as I say, it, it's it's possibly a little bit worrying for me, really. Why haven't, why haven't seen people in these groups uh, hit my desk over the years? Um, anyway, going back, ADHD, um, I can't quite remember the number that you mentioned, um, but certainly I've seen studies sh showing that 8% of the population um, have um, a form of um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, of course, is an on name. Um, I, I had 3 to 4% and that was about yeah. 2 million. So 8% obviously is increasing, obviously quite a lot higher. Yeah, I believe I got that from the um, the website, one yeah. of the websites that's available, um, health web websites. Um, so it's, it's, it is um, quite remarkable, really. The causes, really not clear. People haven't, uh, the, the scientists, etc. and usually for them these days, haven't really come up with a, a, a definitive cause. And as you've already said, um, we often see this associated with children, always manifests itself, usually at a young age. But... Behavioural therapy and medication can help a lot in these areas. And it certainly can, does progress into uh, to adulthood, but the symptoms can be very, very subtle in adults. And again, that might be one of the reasons why I haven't seen too many cases, that in fact they haven't necessarily had to seek medication or see a GP, a medical professional. But nevertheless, I think um, looking at the symptoms again, you've already mentioned some frequent, frequent mood swings, hot temper, low frustration tolerance, impulsiveness, um, history of, of suddenly quitting your job. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting where somebody would actually ultimately fit into a diagnosis of ADHD. Some of those things I think I could recognise in myself. Let me put it, that's, that's what I was trying to say there. It's, it's really hard, actually, isn't it? I think yeah. because you know, you know, some of it's you know, especially I imagine it's incredibly difficult with children. Some of the main symptoms are short attention span, excessive yep. talking, interrupting, losing interest in tasks, and obviously, I'm quite over that. Obviously, I've got three boys. They've all obviously had that at different stages of the life. So it's it's something more than just those things. It's it's not like it's it's quite a marked and probably very very consistent um sort of situation where it's happening no, I, I, I think you're absolutely right i think the 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 point i suppose i was trying to make was you, you know it's a, a marked behavioral issue but eight percent of the population have it or even three to four percent of the population have it i wonder quite where those the parameters for defining actually come in now i'll, I'll put that down for for a minute and that, that i think also creates a, a challenge for underwriting yes. because you, unless somebody has actually been diagnosed formally with this, 
then a lot of the symptoms will, would, would not even be come up on a proposal form. Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be asked. And there is nothing wrong with that. The proposal form, if, if you, you, what everybody needs to do is to answer the questions on the prop. If they're not asked for, then you don't answer them. Exactly, yes. The challenges with H, HDHD in terms of underwriting, again, is, is really how it impacts that person's lifestyle. Can they, can they look after themselves? Um, do they feed themselves properly? Um, are they able to, to socially interact in a reasonable way? All of those things can, will, will do play a part in mortality. Yes. Okay, in, in, in the, someone's, the, the, the lifespan of an individual. What you will get, and I know you spoke about, you, you mentioned it already, of course, is it's, depression is a very common associated disorder with HDHD. Um, you will also get anxiety and sleep disorders as well. And an underwriter would obviously be very interested um, in the depression and how that impacts them. Just because somebody suffers from depression, obviously doesn't mean that um, they'd even, even get rated, rated terms, but we need to know the severity of that depression, how long it's gone on for, how it's been treated, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So ADHD, as I say, it, 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 just to summarize really, it, I'm amazed that I've not seen many cases over the years, or they've been brought to my attention from other members of the teams that I've worked with. Um, the symptoms, as you, you put the nail on the head, really, yeah. the symptoms of the mood swings, temper, have, I'm assuming must be very marked in order yes. to get this diagnosis, because to try and differentiate, I think, between some of those, and as you said, in children, and I recognise all those years ago, those those uh, issues in mine as well, those yeah. challenges, um, how you draw a line in the sand to say somebody has HDHD and someone hasn't, it's pretty damn difficult. And underwriters, of course, will work on diagnoses. Absolutely. Well, they, they, I don't think they can do anything else, can they, really? You've got scored well, by what's been told by a GP. Absolutely. That, that is certainly the, um, the way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, or a way of looking at it. So we do speak with a number of people at Cura who have um, ADHD. And usually when they say it to us, it's usually more like an aside. Like they'll be telling us about something else and then yeah. they'll just go, oh, I, by the way, I have ADHD as well, which, you know, obviously we then take it on board. Um, I think something to be very aware of is the fact that um, there are certain things like making mistakes on forms. You know, it's it's important not to, it's really important not to talk down to anybody, obviously, with any any kind of health condition. You should never talk down to them as if they don't understand something. But it's also important to make sure that you are, in a sense, empowering them to understand the forms and everything as best as possible. So just like with anybody, you know, make sure that the forms that you're giving them are clear. You know, if need be, it's something that we do all the time. And it's, it's not just for people with ADHD, it's generally for everybody, because insurance documents, as we all know, are not the not the simplest things to look at. You would put little sticky notes on it saying, fill in this question here, ignore this question, you know, depending upon the situation. You know, they could be that they interrupt you, which can be, and somebody's interrupting you quite consistently when you're chatting to them, that can become very, very agitating for yourself. And obviously you can start to get your own emotions sort of riled up a little bit. And um, so I think what could be interesting is if you are getting that kind of a situation, someone's talking a lot, they're interrupting you a lot. Um, maybe their thoughts uh what you would maybe think of as kind of like jumping from place to place a little bit. Maybe at that point, just try and have like a little thing in the back of your mind to think, 
hang on a minute, is there maybe something here in terms of communication? And it could be that you maybe, you know, take a slightly different approach, whether or not you're in person or if you're doing it over the telephone. There are different things that you can do. So, you know, it could be sometimes that you maybe need to repeat yourself a little bit. It could be that you need to just take slightly different approaches in the sense of writing something down by email and, and taking that approach, giving the person time to complete the forms, you know, just give them the chance to go through things. It's the kind of things where I would be saying, I would have thought and I would hope that everybody would do that for somebody, regardless of a health condition or not, or their age or anything like that, that if somebody was having difficulty, that you would really try and, I know we all work in really sort of like fast paced lives now, but it really can make a difference to somebody if you pause and wait. And I think from the numbers that we've been talking about as well, you've probably come across a lot more people than you expect with this condition. And it might be that there's been absolutely nothing for you to notice, or it might be that there has been something and you've walked away thinking, do you know what? They just weren't getting it, were they? But actually that's not their fault. As an advisor, it's your fault because you need to adapt. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. Now, autism, going on to that one. Now, this is something that for me, I have found personally, I'll be honest, in insurance world um, from many years ago. So this ha doesn't happen now, but many, many years ago, it was something that absolutely I was, I was ready to go to an insurer and tell them exactly what for, as I'm sure most people can imagine me doing. Um, and we, we were speaking to somebody, this was years ago, and had autism. And we spoke to the insurer and the insurer said to us, you need to find out their IQ. I found that, in, I'll just say, I found it disgusting. I found it incredibly insulting to ask somebody with autism what their IQ was because Quite frankly, I really wanted to turn around to that person and say, well, can I have your IQ? Because theirs is probably higher. There's different levels of autism and there's different levels of symptoms and understanding. And I appreciate from an underwriting point of view that there are some people living with autism that the insurers would possibly wonder what's known as the insurable interest. And for any charities that are listening, the insurable interest is something where that's kind of what advisors and insurers work on in the sense of like what's going to be the financial impact to somebody of that person no longer being there. It's like we're looking at life insurance. So say like for um, a parent, there'd be the financial impact to the child that they're no longer there. Um, if they were to die, um, they'd be no longer there to bring in the income to the household, to raise the child, they would need somebody to look after them. So what that's kind of like one of the things that's looked at. So for somebody who has very significant um, autism, who isn't able to work, who maybe requires full-time care. Um, that's not to say that insurances aren't available. It's just to say that sometimes there would be a question as to what the insurances are there for. And that's for a number of reasons in the sense of not only um, establishing why that money's needed, pay possibly for funeral expenses um, would be a potential um, that would be looked at, but it's also to safeguard the person that is living with autism to make sure as well that insurance isn't being taken out upon their life um, when it shouldn't be, in a sense, for somebody's benefit when they, they really shouldn't have that insurance in place. And um, that's uh, gone off on a bit of a side tangent there. It's absolutely valuable. You, you, um, you, you highlighted those, those um, the yeah. challenges. You're absolutely bob on with everything you say. Yeah. As regard, I'm sorry to cut you off just for a yeah. second. Yeah, of course. But, um, the, um, the comments that you made about the IQ, I'm afraid, I find disgusting. Yes. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of the industry for answering that question, uh, asking that type of question. And I can only hope that it was somebody who just didn't think about what they were doing. Which sadly, we're all yeah. human and we do make mistakes. 
but um, I'm, I'm very glad to say I never asked that question. I wouldn't remember with my team in the old days would have asked that question of anybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. So it was such a shock when we came across this. And we just at the time as well, it was just that thing of, wow, access to insurance. We're trying so hard. And then yep. this is question. And you just thought, you know, obviously you kind of think, well, as advisors, we can kind of be here to buffer those questions and go back to the insurance, go, you're wanting me to ask what now? I'm not doing that. Um, but then you think of the people who've gone direct. And I'm not saying that obviously this is something that's going to happen with insurance. And insurers, are, you know, to be very clear, they are... The wording that's being used in questions now is, is absolutely amazing compared to where it used to be. And there's so many things that have changed through learning. And, you know, insurers are in a much, much better place. But there is still that thing sometimes of thinking, actually, put yourself in that person. You're that person's mum, maybe. And they've, you've just, the mum's just rung you. So me, as a mama bear, I've just rung up an insurer about one of my children who has, you know, obviously, I was going to say, I'm going to say my children has autism as an example, but they don't. So I, don't speak, I just want to be very clear about that. Um, and I said, somebody tries to say to me, what's the IQ of your child? I would not be happy at all. And I would, I would have choice words um, with somebody who asked that. Um, because an IQ is not someone's worth. Um, an idiotic question. People, if, if that question's been asked, they don't actually understand how intelligent quotients have worked out anyway. Exactly. And it, there is that um, kind of question then of, well, where do we draw the line as to asking somebody's IQ? Because... It, does anybody it, really, so, really know what their IQ is anyway? You tell me how many people really know what their IQ is. I know, you know it's very, very strange. Very few that I know, you know my, my kind of friends and, and work colleagues, etc. So it, it's an absolutely nonsense question. I'm embarrassed. It is, I was going to say though, um, slight, slight attention. I do know of one insurer that does ask um, for highest qualification status in their application, which for me um, is something that's, again, I don't particularly understand um again it's a nonsense question isn't it how many people have left school mr branson for instance yes leave school exactly very young i don't think he even got his gcse's did he i think he didn't he leave beforehand he's left certainly before a levels i think and then look at him and yet isn't mr branson a um isn't he autistic Oh, I can't remember. I remember seeing something now. I'm not sure. I remember seeing, yeah, I'm going to have to go look at that now. You have, look, at, look it up. There's a, a very lovely letter he wrote to a nine-year-old oh, uh, who, who had autism. I will, said, I will absolutely A, a little that. bit from memory, I have to say, but, yeah. and um, she was saying about how it, 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 she found it a bit difficult. And he was saying, well, I've got, it's, autism is what has helped me get where I am today. That's, that's such a lovely sentiment to send somebody Beautiful. so young as well. I'm gonna, I'll have to get tissues. I'll have to get myself ready. <laughs> um, but, with, um, but with autism, so again, just for advisors to be um, aware, it could be somebody who is, they may come across as quite blunt and rude. Um, they may seem a bit anxious. Um, they're not likely to understand sort of like turns of phrase. So, you know, they're very literal. So if you were to say something all like break a leg, they possibly won't understand that. They're probably going to think that you actually are saying to them, go and break your leg, which is, is obviously f- so far from the truth of what you'd be saying. Um, so just, be, just being careful. They may avoid eye contact. Um, they may talk over people. They may also be very uncomfortable about being um, touched. And I know that could sound very yeah. strange, because obviously everybody doesn't like being touched in many ways. But um, so this no, is kind no, of like no. is a bit of a, a sidestep as well to, I was explaining this and someone said that it really surprised them. They'd never thought of it before. So my mum has fibromyalgia. And um, when she meets people, obviously it's, it's our th- obviously not COVID times, but it's our thing, isn't it? It's a sort of, if we shake hands or we maybe give somebody a little bit of a hug if we know them. 
both of those things are extremely painful for my mum to do. And someone shaking her hand will, will cause a significant pain for a long time. So she doesn't shake hands. It's not her being rude, but she feels like she has to explain it each time. And she'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't shake hands because it actually causes me pain to do so. And she kind of gets a bit embarrassed about it. But she does have that kind of awareness to be very open to say, you know, this yeah. is what's happened. This is why. But obviously somebody with autism may not think to say something like that. So again, it may be, mm. you know, you may be getting what feels like quite a rude conversation. Someone's being quite standoffish with you physically. They're maybe not sat in a, in a kind of open, we're taught as advisors that open stances, you know, sort of like the open question stances and different things, like in a welcoming kind of stance. Yeah. Um, and obviously if they're not making eye contact with you, that can also be considered to be very, very rude um, from what we're brought up to, to be used yeah, to. cultural issues, yeah. yeah. But again, that's something where if you are starting to see some of these signs as an advisor, um, especially if you're face-to-face, obviously I imagine some of these are much easier to spot. Um, but, um, you know, it's just something to try and be aware of. And again, if you start seeing other things, think, hang on a minute, is there maybe a health condition here? And I maybe just need to be slightly more aware. And maybe this isn't anything about rudeness. Maybe this is just this person and I need to just, you know, just like change my own mindset at the moment. Talking about as well on, um, so say like the telephones, we're telephone based. I was speaking to somebody um, last year and she has autism and she is um, very much um, an auditory person. So she was very clear with me from the start. She said, I have autism. I'm an auditory person. I would like to do the, I would like to chat by, by phone and try and keep emails to a minimum, which was absolutely fine. We do obviously quite a lot by emails because I think again, yeah, everybody's yeah. busy lives. Emails are quite easy and quick to do. But then what I made sure I did was um, I made sure that when it was time to do contacts and updates, I made sure it was a phone call that I did to her. And then if I didn't manage to get her on the phone, I would try and leave as much detail as possible via voicemail without any kind of identifying information. Because obviously we have to be very, very careful as to, as to the information, but to try and give her as, as kind of like a generic update about what was happening. And, you know, not even talking about the fact we're talking about life insurance, but just like staying on the phone. Right. So I just wanted to ring, ring up and give you an update about the insurance that we were discussing recently, because, again, you can't necessarily just sort of like say life insurance on a voicemail and, uh, and sure, uh, sure. leave it somewhere for, for no, no. potentially anybody could grab the phone Absolutely. and then learn it. You know, there's Absolutely. so many things to think about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think from my understanding, especially when I was doing obviously all the research and everything, again, it comes down to, again, for anybody from the charities who are listening, it comes down to, in a sense, what is the insurable interest? So with the lady that I spoke to with autism, she was working, she had a mortgage, she had children. There was lots of what's known as an insurable interest. Um, so that would be um, loss of income to her household. For her, if she was ill or seriously ill, or potentially if she were to pass away, um, the ability to repay the mortgage, if, again, something was to happen to her, and also potentially funds to help raise her child until the child had reached an age of independence. So there was very, very clear what we class as like the insurable interest in the insurance world, very, very clear needs there. And that's the kind of thing that people will be looking for. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware, um, Matt, it's probably quite a standard sort of approach as it would be to any health condition. So we'd be wanting to know when the diagnosis was made, the symptoms, possibly any medications or treatments, but I don't think there's lots of things, obviously with some conditions, there's lots of things that stand out that we need to know about and that could potentially have an influence on the terms. But I don't know specifically with autism if that's necessarily the case. It would seem, for me, it kind of feels like it could be quite straightforward. 
Yes, Catherine, you, you mentioned that the, um, it, it should be relatively um, straightforward, and I, I would go along with that. From an underwriting perspective, over and above the, the normal questions, if you want to call them that, then we really want to know the background to the individual case that you mentioned earlier. Uh, is obviously somebody who is holding down a, a decent job, has a mortgage, potentially has children, and those are all very, very positive signs from an underwriting perspective i.e. They, they themselves have the same as anybody else in terms of their ability to look after themselves, look after their health, eat properly, exercise, etc., etc. So in that circumstance, yes, it would be very simple. If somebody's got is 24-7 um, care, needs, needs care, yeah. then that's, um, that's the other end of the spectrum, really. And obviously, um, we would need to look at that very, very carefully. Yes. No, I think that's that's right. And I think as well that kind of that's not just the insurers, obviously, that's to do with also, as I say, in terms of safeguarding that individual, because the last thing we would want to do is somebody trying to take out insurance from somebody when they, they really shouldn't do um, and trying to profit if something was to happen to that individual. So I think that also comes down to the advice side of things as well. And that could be why um, if people have had some difficulties in the past in terms of being able to access things, it could have just been a bit more sometimes it may be a little bit more clarity as to why the cover was needed or was, was felt to be needed. So going on to dyspraxia then. So as, as far as I'm aware, dyspraxia is more to do with like the physical movements. And I think this is possibly one where there probably would be more consideration in terms of the underwriting side of things, because I, I understand that there can be sometimes difficulty in terms of driving and doing like household chores and day-to-day -day tasks. And I know that driving sometimes, the ability to, to hold a driving license can sometimes factor in sometimes with medical conditions as to, understanding the um the strength of the symptoms am i right in thinking that yes um <clears throat> excuse me i think again what the way that i would approach this anyway as an underwriter um would be how the the, the, the moving difficulty how it impacted their day-to-day -day life yeah. um, i wouldn't be too worried about driving um, but I would be, I'd be more focusing in on how, what their lifestyle is, whether they can look after themselves, whether they can get about, um, can feed themselves properly, et cetera, et cetera, from a, from a lifestyle perspective. I think those are the key issues. It, it, it was interesting just in the, in the researching for today, um, I, I found a study, it was a very, very small study. It, it actually came up with, and this was April 2019, so it wasn't very long ago. People within this, 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 who have these conditions are probably about twice as likely to die than those in the general population, okay. which is quite staggering from yeah. an underwriting perspective, but very much depends where you've got those, those kind of opposites right at the end of the different scales, mm -hmm. where severe will require drastic different lifestyle uh, to, to the general population. Um, specific um, living arrangements, plenty of help from those around them. Now that's that's at the more difficult end. Yeah. And a measure of that, obviously, is um, the score of their, their social ability and daily living skills. That that's how an underwriter would actually look at these all of these types of cases. To be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, where somebody is leading what in modern parlance is a normal life. Everything will be pretty simple. There's, there's no two-way, but straightforward, to use your expression. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, 
the that statistic which I gave, I'll say it again, people within these groups are more than twice as likely to die than that of the general population. Yeah. Those people will generally have pretty severe forms of these disorders. There's no there's no toys about it. Yeah. And part of that reason is um is just general lifestyle. Need to, you know, you need to look yeah. after yourself. Or people have to help you to look after yourself. Yes. Those, those are kind of the key areas there. I think as well, probably going on from that as well, as a bit so with the dyspraxia, obviously, um, in terms of the movements, I imagine on the probably the the stronger end of the scale of the condition that people could possibly be wheelchair bound. And obviously yes, being being lifelong in a wheelchair, obviously that in itself, being in a wheelchair isn't isn't necessarily um, a, a, a significant immediate risk insurance wise but it does come with certain aspects in terms of it can um, it can lead to other potential conditions that insurers obviously like to to know about and to be aware about but I think you know you know if somebody's got dyspraxia and it's the kind of thing where they have symptoms where essentially they're, they're not able to run or jump but you know they're the working um, they're, they're able to drive you know they've the sort of like living life just just like so many people with health conditions they just they know sort of like right I can't do I can't run I can't jump but I can do everything else and I don't need to run and jump to live so that's that's fine then really you know I would hope that you know people wouldn't be too apprehensive about going for insurance if that was the case I I would I would completely agree with everything you said there and um, I would encourage people to go to, to, to at least ask about insurance protection insurance yeah and there is a very good chance that in the vast majority of people with these conditions um, insurance terms would be able to be given and insurance would be available yes certainly don't be put off whatsoever yeah that would be my thought too and the last one we're talking about is dyslexia. So that's the one where we have was it, 6.5 million people in the UK living with um, dyslexia. So one of the things that we do at Cure is we've got the um, Recite Me um, accessibility and language um, software on the website where for people with dyslexia or a number of different um, either health conditions or potentially language barriers are able to adapt the website so that it's accessible for them. Now that could be um, that the uh, everything's set up so that it can be read aloud. Um, it could be um, changing the background and font colors to match what that person is able to see most easily. Um, but so, some things to bear in mind is that, you know, it could be that you maybe need to do more of a, a telephone call. You know, it has to be more of a conversation rather than written documentation. And I'm sure that advisors and compliance managers everywhere in the UK um, are sort of cringing at the thought that somebody might not be able to read a suitability letter or um, read the key features documents in terms of um, conditions policies correctly. But at the same point, with the, the level of technical information that is in those documents, it isn't particularly feasible to expect somebody who struggles to read to be able to go through that document and completely understand it. And I did um, a podcast a while ago with the person who founded um, the, and made the recycling software. And he just said, when he looked at his insurance documents at first, when he was looking at them, he was just like, well, I'm just, I can't be bothered. There's no way, it completely just turned him off straight. Away. Even though he needs it, he was just like, I just do not. There's nothing about me that wants to go through all that documentation because it's going to make me feel ill. 
And I think that's something that we need to be very aware of. So as an advisor, I would say, obviously, be able to do things over the phone. Maybe if you feel comfortable to do videos. And then you can even maybe, whilst providing, obviously, for regulatory requirements, providing the demands and needs letter for the clients in terms of your advice and recommendation, you could then also do a video that accompanies it so the person can actually, you've, you've done the regulatory requirements of putting everything in writing, but then you've also done it in the way that's actually accessible to them. Um, you may need to adapt the documents and print them in a different um, color style and everything for the, the person to be able to access. It's more difficult, obviously, when we come to insurance documents and key features documents, because they're usually, they're often in a format where that can't be necessarily done to them. Um, and also bear in mind as well, and it's something that I think we, we often think of dyslexia as reading and writing, but it is also potentially that there can be a struggle in remembering things after a certain time frame. So for some people, they may be able to recall information for say like 20, 30 minutes um, without written prompts, but they may need some kind of written or you know a different type of prompt of some sort so they can refer back to the conversation that they've already had. You know, it may also be as well providing um, copies of call recordings for the client so they can refer back and listen to it and make sure that they understand um, what's being asked of them. But I think from my understanding with the dyslexia side of things, I, I really don't believe that's going to be coming into any kind of play really with the um, with insurances. Is that, am I correct with that, Matt? Yes, yes, you're absolutely right, um, Catherine. Um, it just wouldn't, it just doesn't come into the insurance um, field um, at all. Yeah. There's another one actually, um, when I was doing a little bit of research called number dyslexia. Yes. We find maths challenging. Yeah. Dyscalculia, apparently, is the, uh, is the, is the yeah. name for it. But you're absolutely right. Neither of those, particularly dyslexia, should cause an underwriter any concerns at all. The thing is, actually, I, I've met somebody, I know somebody with dyscalculia, actually. And um, it was interesting to me because I wasn't aware of that side of, of things. And obviously, it brought that to my attention as well. So I think, especially with dyslexia, this is where we're really talking. It's, it's kind of like a mix because it's really on the advisors to make sure that they are providing as much access as possible and making things as accessible as possible in terms of uh, making sure that the person understands, because if you say if it's dyscalculia, making sure that they understand the processes to what's being recommended and the, the amounts that are being recommended and why, and, and chatting to them, chat to the person, find out what it is that they need and what helps them, and then adapt yourself to make sure that you are doing it how they need it to be. And I think the other thing as well, I did some research on this a little while ago um, in terms of, you know, what's available for people in terms of who have um, struggle for, to be able to access insurance if they are blind or deaf. And the discrepancy between insurers about what they do and don't do was really, really surprised me, actually, um, in terms of being able to provide people with support to access documents. That was one of the biggest things is making, you know, just having... Um, different levels of accessibility to the documents was was a massive discrepancy. Um, so for any of the insurers or insurance folk who are listening, I would really I'd really suggest that something that would be useful would be to to make sure that the documents are wholly accessible. There are a number of organisations that can be spoken to that can help with this. It doesn't, you know, I always think that there's sometimes this fear of sort of potentially sometimes of the costs of making things more accessible and the fact that there's so many documents to do and and then also getting it right. And But I think the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of people, for the dyslexia alone, 6.5 million people 
who are not going to find accessing insurance documentation, which from a regulatory perspective, we need them to be able to read and understand for us to have all done our job, insurers, advisors, reinsurers alike. These documents are not in a format with most places that are easy for somebody to really understand. And I think that should hopefully be a really big takeaway for anybody who's listening. Absolutely. I mean, very wise words indeed throughout the last few minutes. Um, again, I, I do find it very sad that insurers in the year 2021 don't help or, or don't go as far as they should with people who have, for instance, uh, who are deaf or blind. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame. It is. I mean, as I say, some of them are absolutely, they're kind of knocking yeah. out of the park. They're amazing. But the majority, yeah. there was absolutely, um, there was only a couple that I thought, oh, that really needs to be changed. But, you know, there's, there's some who've got some things in place, but, you know, there are ways that it could be improved. And I yeah. think that that's definitely something that would be worthwhile. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that maybe people turn on say, like you say, you know, there's people, you know, when was the last time you maybe saw the case of somebody with autism or ADHD? And people may turn and say, well, when was the last case that we saw somebody who was, blind or deaf going for insurance. And I think the biggest question there is that that's possibly a very, there's possibly a really big answer there and a really obvious one yes, in I that they, they cannot access it. They just don't even have the means to come and talk about it because they they just, they can't. There's no way for them to be able to do so. And, you know, there's only a certain amount that you can do in terms of explaining why certain documents aren't available in certain ways and different things before somebody well, just like um, the the guy who's obviously with the recite me, you know, it turns out and just goes, well, they clearly don't want my business, so why would I even bother? So I think hopefully that's sparked some thoughts with different people in different places. Thank you so much, Matt, for, for giving your insight into things. And I think what I, I've really enjoyed about this um, podcast, I know we always have this, but I think with a lot of these conditions, so like the autism, the dyspraxia, especially, I think a lot of people would possibly instinctively think that there's maybe a difficulty in getting insurance or maybe even advisors would wonder whether or not their clients, you know, is, are they actually going to be able to do anything? And I think what's been nice is that just hearing your point of view, that there is that hope there, that there should be stuff to be able to very be available. So. Very much so. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Matt. Next time I'm going to be chatting with Roy and Catherine Moxham to discuss group insurances. And um, next time after that, when Matt, you are back with me, I think we're going to be chatting about diabetes, if that's okay with you. Sounds excellent. Looking forward to it. Brilliant. If anybody would like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And please don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too. Thank you so much for joining me, Matt. Have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you. And you.